Hey everyone, welcome back to Vinylism. I'm your host, Adam Winchell, and tonight we have Kenny with us. Kenny, what's going on? Hey, hey. What's going on, guys? Good to be here. Good to be here on a Monday night. Start the week off right with a new rec- podcast recording. Okay, and uh, we're so happy and excited to have Scott Stratton back with us. Scott, how you doing? Hey, great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about the new... 28, it's called the 2018 remix of Pink Floyd's album Animals. And uh, you mentioned to Kimo, who can't be here tonight, that you wanted to come on board and talk about this tonight. We were super excited about it. Yeah, I'm going to miss Kimo. He's the guy that introduced me to you. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he's a good guy. He, he knows a lot about music, too. Yes, he does. But yeah. now you're a friend of the pod. So very nice. You're, <laughs> you're welcome anytime, of course. Thank you. But, um, just to kind of ease us into this, I want to talk about like, um, this is a classic album. It's like I mentioned before we started recording, it's definitely a top five Pink Floyd album for me. Uh, I think Scott, you said it was top five of all time for you. Oh, it's somewhere in the upper top five of all my all time favorite albums. It's an epic, epic journey. Upper echelon. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one of my most played records, probably. Really? Really? That's cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, Floyd's one of those bands. I mean, they're just legendary, you know, this one, you know, goes back to like to their, their heyday. Definitely another, their, their late sixties stuff was great, but I kind of feel like they hit their, their peak, you know, through the seventies. And like, this one was still like in that run where they had just like a string of like probably four, four or five, just awesome albums in a row throughout the seventies. Yeah. It, it's right in the, among their greatest 70s work and it's the least sort of acknowledged among people that don't know you know there aren't any hits on it even though they yeah. still perform roger still plays sheep and uh, and pigs yeah yeah i mean great tracks but yeah exactly it's none of the you know it's not like money or you know those those the the more uh popular kind of hits that uh, get played all the time i mean especially for radio these days, you know, what are the tracks on this album? A bunch of them are like 10 minutes plus long, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, I see this was released originally in the UK, January 21st, 1977. So that makes it 45 years old this year. Yeah. Crazy. Excuse me. And uh, for me, like when I was getting into Floyd as a teenager in the 90s, this definitely was the one that I discovered after, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, The Wall, like... I kind of got to this one after those, but uh, I was really fascinated by it. I mean, it's just such an interesting kind of dark album. Um, uh, I remember reading this book. It's a great book called Saucer Full of Secrets by Nicholas Schaefer. It's a history of the band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the chapter on this, he doesn't spend a lot of time on this album, but the chapter was called Punk Floyd. And the album had come out in 77 and they were... Kind of had it like a harder edge sound on this in some ways, kind of more aggressive. Yeah, a lot has been made of the, this coming out in the punk era. It was recorded in the summer of '76, which is sort of like the summer of love for punk, really. If you had, if you want to call me a phrase, but yeah. um, this uh, I used to kind of poo-poo that, but then I've read several different opinions, and and the more I think about it, it had to have been influenced by the zeitgeist of that time especially if you look at the lyrical content and the aggression of of the the vocal and the 
it, that had to have been influenced by what was going on. And especially if you consider what the album that it followed was wish you were here was this beautiful, expansive, pristine ethereal. Yeah. 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 And then they came out with this just aggro wrenching. Oh, and somebody made a point to note that there's no saxophone on the record. There's no backing female singers. Uh, So that that, really makes a big difference in, in the sort of tone of the album, you know, when I bought it, it was, I think I was, uh, it came out, I wasn't quite 13, but I think by the time I heard it, I was 13. And this would have been, I bought it new. I still have the same uh, OG vinyl and it still plays. Uh, and I've been listening to it lately. Um, but yeah, I, I it was sort of lost on me at the time. You know, I, I was listening to Ted Nugent and Bloister Cult and Peter Frampton and Black Oak, Arkansas or whatever, what was going on back then in 76, 77. And uh, I just really, I had only heard Dark Side of the Moon before, and I liked Money, and I liked uh, Brain Damage, which I always thought that was sort of a novelty song. So I was, even Dark Side, I hadn't really gotten in on it yet. It didn't really hadn't fully clicked. Hit me yeah. real hard. I think in 78, I put Dark Side on my turntable over like late October this time of year. And it never left my turntable for two weeks. I was playing it like six, seven times a day. I finally, I suddenly got that album. And, yeah. and between Dark Side and Animals, those are my all-time two favorite Pink Floyd. But everybody has an opinion, you know. Well, it takes you back. Like, was you're talking, you know, it makes me think about the way I discovered music back then. I mean, it's there, there wasn't the access to music that we have now. So yeah. it's like it. the access to music was like how much money I could get from allowance from my parents to go down to, to like, uh, the warehouse music store, you know, and, yeah. and just randomly buy stuff. Cause the album covers looked cool and things like that, you know, with yeah. like, they're, you know, so like I, you know, I, I, I didn't hear about this album until definitely later. Uh, I think what probably the first album I got turned on to was the wall, you know, just cause like being a, you know, a teenager in the eighties, you know, and then of course, you know, starting to experiment with, uh, with the reefer, you know, in high school and stuff, everybody's like, you know, you got to watch the wall and, you know, yeah. put on the video and, and, and then discovered some of the other stuff much later. And being able to appreciate other states of mind definitely got me to in on the, in the playground of, of uh, this album really. And, and it's, it is one of the most, gosh, I mean, Floyd are just known for their soundscapes and you're just in the music, but this one, it's just, there's nothing like this record. It's, even amongst their catalog, there's nothing like this album. It's so different. For, and there's nothing mm. anywhere that I know of, unless someone has come out and tried to copy it probably since then and done things that were on here. But it's just so epic, monumental. That's a great point. That it's, there's nothing really else like it in their catalog in terms of like mood and approach. That's probably and- why it's such an outlier, too. Because yeah. it's it's not yeah. what people expect, you know. Well, I thought that I heard too they that they were, you know, I I think like the the cracks were starting to show in in the band, like all their creative, whatever directions and things, like with, you know, Roger Waters and Gilmore, and uh, I thought, uh, like I read somewhere that there was a kind of contentious recording process for this album. What's interesting that. I re- sorry, I read in the book that they had just built their own studio 
in London at the time and we're recording it and it was kind of dreary and like, you know, wasn't quite fully finished when they started. And that kind of, I think, lent some of the well, vibe. Maybe everyone, there's always, that always comes up. There's always some inner dynamic with the band that might be contention, but I, I just saw a little clip of uh, Nick Mason discussing this. And he says he, he remembers having a really good time. Uh, recording it he remembers that they were just you know working and they liked being in their own environment they had their own studio they were away from the white coats at abbey road you know so they were sort of like being babysat over there that you know they it was like a lot of rules and things over there so they had anything goes there <laughs> their studio yeah yeah and i guess they they use the term teething problems with with the studio but they what they did record stands up you know yeah and uh yeah, that's uh, I think uh, Nick Mason or he, uh, no, Rick Wright had said he didn't really have anything to bring to the table, that he does play well. And, you know, he probably had more influence than he's willing to let on. But uh, Rogers, this is the album where he, I guess he wrote, did he write all the lyrics on Dark Side too? Yes. But he wrote all these lyrics. And I guess uh, Gilmore is just co-credited with uh dogs which that out that song goes back to 74 yeah was that called raving and drooling yeah that was uh you gotta be crazy oh you gotta be crazy and then sheep uh was called raving and drooling yeah which they played on the wish you were here tour those those are being performed on the wish you were here tour so that kind of does predate punk just a little so they were kind of heading in that direction like 74 those two songs were written before uh wish you were here got underway and and i think the, once roger sort of got the idea for wish you were here they didn't fit the concept so they put them aside and i think they did well to let them age and they you know they played live with them and i think in the end it just made a much better performance and they were more intimately acquainted with the music and and there's different versions of roger singing there's some demos out there and he he really dialed it in with with his phraseology on this is just some of the turns of phrase and the cadences of his of his lyrics are just outstanding you know like yeah i love his vocals dogs. yeah i i mean i i love a lot of his vocals from the those albums like all through the 70s uh this one too yeah it's just his his voice man i don't there's never very unique on these ever like somebody else who really like sounds like him yeah. Well, I like that. I mean, I don't know if it's a very good comparison, but he has that kind of Dylan-esque quality where it's not like the best trained voice you've ever heard. He's not like super smooth singer like Gilmore, who I also love Gilmore's vocals. But Roger has that kind of humanistic side to his, you know, singing. It sounds just like, I don't know, not polished in an interesting way, even though, you know, he must have polished yeah. these. Well, he has a lot of different techniques that he uses, like that inhale scream that he would oh, yeah. do. That nobody does that. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things that he had different techniques, a little <laughs> the stuff that he'd throw in. <laughs> just oh man. Yeah, he's yeah. very expressive. And the yeah. words too. I mean, just just you know, very like poetic, man, you know, is able to like tug on your heartstrings, but say things in a cool way too. Like I just, you know, really dig a lot of the the stuff that he's written. Yeah. I mean, lyrically, of course, this goes back to Animal Farm, like for some inspiration yeah. and lyrics. So there's a lot going on here. 
Yeah, but, uh, um, we might talk about why is it the 2018 remix, and here we are four years later. And uh, the story that I know about it that's, you know, it's on the internet, I've done my little research that I can, is that, uh, you know, Roger wanted to have these liner notes on the album, and there was a guy named Mark Blake that wrote some liner notes, and uh, there was a real headstrong argument about whether these should be included or not, and and Roger and, and Dave just were at loggerheads, and in the end, Roger posted these liner notes on his own website, rogerwaters.com, and then, because Dave had this idea that, well, we wanted to be enigmatic because the album originally never had any kind of liner sleeves or anything. So I, I think uh, somehow they got past this and Roger got to post this Nick Blake uh, notes. And I don't think there's anything uh, contentious about what Nick wrote. The I think it was interesting, but I kind of agree with Dave that it's just didn't need to be on here you got already this fantastic booklet and there's just photos in there there's no explanation what you don't really need any of that but you you can go on roger's website and read it and of course he put some little snarky comments you know in there too it's it's, it's uh he, he couldn't help himself but I, his memoirs are going to come out it'd be interesting to read those I'm interested yeah. to read that actually. Yes. Yeah. That'll to, be something else, but um, I'll have to check out those liner notes. So, so you think it's kind of like, like Roger wanted to pull back the curtains a little bit, like go back and, and rewrite that. And David Gilmore was more like, just keep it pure. Like, yeah, it, I think know? so. <laughs> but who knows, who knows there must've been other things going on. And, and I don't know why it took four years. Maybe they just stopped speaking to each other or something, but now that it's out, it's like, thank God. Anyway. Um, I uh, was looking through Bernie's notes on this album and he did cut this in 2018. And then there's a big red line through it. And, and then, then he, I uh, guess they gave him some different uh, files to work from. It's all 192 K and uh, his notes have, uh, there's a lot of scratched out stuff, this and that. I think it's, it's really hard to decipher, but he did do a 2018 pass and then uh, it was going on up till September, I think, of this year. And there was a, there was something going on in May with it, and d- different things going back and forth. James Guthrie is in charge of it, really, and uh, he's intimately com- aware of, uh, intimately acquainted with all of Floyd's catalog. He's he's sort of the point man on all these vinyl releases. He's real, really perfectionist. So they were working on it up until just this year. Yeah, just, you know, right I, the notes the notes say September, <laughs> and this just <laughs> came out like two weeks ago, or I think of this month. They must have yeah. <clears throat> uh, fast tracked it. You know, interesting. I, w- I want to keep going on this train of thought, but it's interesting you bring up James Guthrie because he is credited with the remaster of the one, the reissue I have on vinyl from 2016 during their reissue campaign from then. And uh, I really love this pressing. It's like, I thought it really brought out some of the power and, you know, it was more forward than what I was yeah. used to hearing on the C- old CD, which is, you know, pretty much all I had before. I never had the original pressing. After hearing the new remix, I want to go and find that 
that remaster that you have because I was comparing it with my original vinyl that I've had for 45 years, which isn't really fair to compare it, but that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can go into a lot of the things that I discovered about this, but uh, also I compared my OG vinyl with a 94 CD remaster that Guthrie was uh, supervising. Uh, Doug Sachs was the remastering engineer. And I think Doug Sachs also did the wall too, and some other things. Wow, you know? I'd definitely be interested to hear some of your some of your thoughts on the what what you picked out. The differences. Oh my God, like there's some real surprising them. things <laughs> on here. Um, so yeah, after going through all this a being and back and forth, and now I'm, I'm going to try to seek out pretty much every format I can. I have three different formats for this album. Um, the one, first of all, I should. Uh, preface this by saying that I, I AB'd my two vinyls, the new remix and my original in the cutting room where Bernie cut this album. Wow. So I was in the room where he cut it. And so, and it's, you know, there's 15 inch tannoys and it's, it's, it's a real great system. So I'm really used to that room. I've been working in there for over 20 years too. So I know what it sounds like. Your ears are used to the the room. Yeah. So that, um, the first thing I noticed was on uh, Pigs on the Wing Part 1, the remix, it's dry as a bone. There's no reverb. The the original has just a hint of reverb on there. Like a bit of room. room Yeah. And and I mean, that's probably Guthrie's uh, artistic call. If you want to, if you're going to yeah, do a remix, to make it more intimate or something, yeah, you can do a lot of different things. But here's the other thing compared to my original vinyl, it's about five dB quieter. Wow. So, this this new one, it not only is it doesn't have the the little reverb on it, but it's it's really five dB is a big difference, and it's uh surprising I'd, I'd love to talk to him and find out about the decisions i mean maybe he thought that it came on a little strong and when i listened back it gave me new ears for when i listened to the og vinyl that it, it is pretty loud that first song maybe he just wanted it to couch it a little and and, and make more impact later as as things develop but why he didn't yeah. put the little bit of reverb is a mystery um and then i also noticed that on pigs on the wing part two it's not quieter. It's I guess you've gone through this epic journey and you need to have a little bit of oomph there still, even just for the acoustic. It had still had to have some some uh, beef to it, I guess. I, I don't know what that's a right word to use, but it's not 5dB lower on the end. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to the immersion that's going to come out because are you aware of uh, Snowy White's guitar solo that was on the eight track tape originally? I have heard. So the solo that connects another verse, like it's two verses. Yeah, on the eight track tape, I don't think they had the, the song lined up. Originally, it was one song and there's a, a beautiful melodic solo. This Great Snowy solo. White played in, yeah. And it's in between. And then the, and then tags on part two and it's all one big long four minutes or whatever five minutes maybe and they on the eight track i don't think it was in a row like that i think they still broke it up but you do get that solo and i didn't even know about this until a few years back and i'm like i've been listening to it on i'm like wow i hope they put that on the immersion but um i think that they were right to edit that out because it just 
the whole album, the meaning of the album is changed if it's not bookended by those verses. And and I'm sure that was very important to Roger. You know, he he's is quoted as saying it's the most important song on the record. Wow. Yeah. If you think about it. And it's the most hopeful. Yeah, it needs a little hope uh, after you've gone on the journey of this album. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's interesting. I mean, some of the little things that I had seen, right? It was what James Guthrie talked about that. Uh, I mean, a lot of people seem to do this, right? When you go and look back and you think, you know, I mean, they were talking decades later, right? Thinking like, well, we didn't, maybe we didn't have as much time to work on the mixes or some certain things got rushed a little bit in the end to just get it done. And then going back and, and trying to, trying to reperfect the We've artwork. got the yeah. acapella <laughs> dogs here. <laughs> on, on. Yeah. I don't have any pigs. Yeah, or sheep. The dogs are chiming in, though. <laughs> it's great. I think they're going to be quiet now. My wife just came home. <laughs> I get excited when she comes home. Excellent. Um, but yeah, so then um, the next notable thing, first of all, when I played the album at home, it had, there's a lot more, uh, you get the really clarity in the drums. And you're hearing things on the bass guitar that used to just sort of be sort of blended in. And the rhythm section is really pronounced. Um, the drums especially sound really nice, um, but they're loud. I mean, it's loud in the mix. Um, yeah. to the, so I played it at home and I'm like, hey, this is cool. You kind of can get in, you can kind of hear uh, what's going on. And you know, if, if Guthrie didn't put the reverb on Pigs on the Wing, it makes me wonder if there anything I missed. Is there something in there also that he chose not to do or something that's a little bit more pronounced? Um, there were certain things that I noticed were sort of missing, that things that I, they're not real loud on, on the original album, but that I know they're there. And I think they got kind of lost. There's just a few little guitar arpeggio things or, or just certain little phrases and and little musical things that i knew were there because you've heard it so much you know you're like yeah. oh it's there was that yeah. part that like you the, know. the most surprising thing was um that the the bass guitar when when i heard it on its own at home you know i'm listening the first time and it, i had a good impression of it when i when i took it to work and went into the the cutting room and a beat it it was shocking because uh, that bass guitar, it was just over the top. It's so loud. It, it was just, I've never heard bass in that room, though. It was beyond. It was just like, it, it's too loud. It was, it was so, I couldn't even believe what I was hearing. I'm like, did I set something wrong? I've never heard a bass that loud in that room in 20 years. And it was wow. masking the drums too were masking some of the guitar work on dogs and, and where the guitar and he's kind of smoothed out the guitar. It's not so raw. He's kind of like tried to wish you were here, eyes it or something, the guitar, I think, and it made it smoother and it's a little bit buried. It's like, Oh man. But I like hearing that stuff, but I don't know. Why did he make these decisions? Why did he go with it like that? And particularly even on the, uh, the solo in Pigs, the guitar solo in Pigs, it, it doesn't have as much of the aggression. And, and bite. The, 
Yeah, that's that's missing. When when I when I listen back and forth, even though there's more detail here and there, um, you there's certain things that that uh, you just can't win them all. I mean, you take a risk yeah. when you mix an album. Yeah, I mean, I think if you push something up, right, you got to roll something else off. There's only yeah. so much space in the sound field to, to fit one all thing, everything in there. The one part of the album that was absolutely fantastic, just absolutely bombastic, was the very last chord of Dogs. When he says, "Down, drag down by the stone, and you hear the, the organ going and it's holding it, and then they hit that last power chord. And the guitarist, boom, sliding down. That was outstanding. It, I've, ne- I've never heard it like that. It sounded so powerful. And it went to like plus three on the meter. When wow. the other album, it was like, you know, minus two or something. Uh, to but, your point, did you hear the any of the Beatles reissue of the last few years of the Giles Martin, uh, either the White Album or the Sgt. Pepper or the, uh, the Abbey Road they put out in the last few years? Much more kind of what you're talking about. More bass. The bass is much more pronounced. I yeah. mean, yeah, well, more, more well, modern sounding. It needed to yeah. be pronounced. It needed to be centered. Put put a little maybe louder even. But I think the he, the pendulum swung just way too far <laughs> the other way. I don't know yeah. why those decisions. Well, I mean, were made. you know, like that's just that's definitely a modernization right there, right? Because listen to all all music now, like. Definitely the sixties into the seventies, there was no bump and thump and bass. Yeah. The way the way it is today, you know. Yeah. But it all it all blended together, even without the definition on the old record or even on the 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 94 CD that I have, which I think is is that Doug Sachs and Guthrie did. I think that's a really nice way because my that my vinyl is pretty well worn out. Even though it still plays, there's you know there's you're lo- lacking some high end, um, and that's another thing that I should point out that this album, the original Animals, is pretty well known for a inner groove distortion. Mm. That when you get loud music on the when it's going really far into the late near the label, and you've only got a couple more turns at the end of the side, you can get a loss of high end, like the, 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 it just won't track the definition gets lost and you can actually get distortion. And this album suffered from that. So a lot of people were really excited when the CD finally came out and I was one of those people And it. That's it's clean on the CD. It's it's, there's clarity. You can hear like the, the, the ride symbol and, but yeah, that that was a big yeah. problem with this album with that inner groove distortion, and that's been cleaned up on the 2018 remix. Bernie intuitively oh, uh, didn't run it all the way in. If you look at the two albums, it's there's a couple, what an inch and a half probably that the uh, on the inner inner to uh, the center. Yeah. Did your original have that problem with the IDG? Yeah, yeah, you know it's it sounds especially after multiple plays. Um, be nice to hear like a, a new old stock version of that record <laughs> like find a sealed one and <laughs> yeah, great with that <laughs> but yeah so that's something that got fixed on on the dog side that's so that's this is a very long song about that he, he was unaware of that but he he intuitively uh, uh accounted for that anyway by he just did you know there's no reason to let the the 
use up all the wax on one side. If you can keep it all in the outer part of the disc, it's better, better sonically. Yeah, but if you have the time, two, you know, that, the time to run the, the songs on from side A and side B, if it fits on there, yeah, you might as well side, we're we're glad that way. The side with uh pigs and sheep is about five minutes longer, too. Oh wow, maybe four. It's 23 plus. So oh, that, that that's a lot of music to fit on a disc. Yeah. Uh I gotta say on the 2016 I have, um it really gave me a brand, a new appreciation for sheep, which before it kind of came at the end of the album, I'm like, eh, I like the aggressiveness of it, but it never really grabbed me in a big way. The mix sounds so kind of like 3D and just lively and like Roger sounds crazy. And the stuff yeah. Rick Wright is doing on there is incredible. Like the way it stands out. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, man. what a song. And no kidding. I don't know. It's just like the big crescendo of the album, of course. Yeah. There's that pulsing that Roger always has these pulsing bass lines that done, yes. done and the way nick mason fits his snare right in there which is just a, it just grooves really so floyd amazing yeah this was really the last floyd album of them as like a four-piece like all contributing even though like you said i don't think Wright has any writing credits himself but uh he's still present as a, a you know he's his own force a lot of people take him for granted he, the band wouldn't be like him like if without Absolutely. him absolutely yeah it was and on the wall too because he's he's i was noticing like he'll play back real he'll lay back and even when the band is kind of cooking and it creates this dynamic where there's more space and more flow or something he if anyone else would just be bashing it out and he plays yeah. back real real easy and a lot of times and uh, it's just like with him and rick they're like these, uh, I don't know, it's, it's like the sleeper cell in the band or something. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a chemistry thing where the 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 sum is greater than the parts. Even though you have some great writers in their own right in there, I think that the other the other players, I mean, definitely you couldn't you couldn't just swap them out and replace it with somebody and have the same thing. No, well, as we've seen, but you know that's what I love about this rhythm section, especially in this era of you have Waters and Mason on bass and drums. They create this great canvas for Gilmore and Wright, pretty much paints all over, and it's just so such good chemistry for the oh, yeah. four guys. If you take anyone out of that, it's just not the same bands, you know. It's yeah. not and. You can see that on the wall where they're much more fractured as a band, even though I love that album. Like it's a little more. Yeah, that, that's place. a lot more. Boy, there's a lot to digest. That album, it's it's more heady. Like yeah. you gotta almost think about the story more, perhaps. And there's so many pieces of music on there, you know, and yeah, it covered yeah. they still have their ethereal bits and angry bits and heavy hard rock, but it's kind of the yeah, culmination of everything. Totally different. Yeah. A completely different animal to yeah. speak. Yeah. If you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I've been giving it a couple of listens uh, recently as we were talking about getting together to, to talk about this on the podcast. And, and uh, it's a very like, like a lot of their stuff, it's a very patient album, you know, and it, it's like, it goes against so much of what we see or hear today where it's just, everything just boom hits you right away. You know, even, even when you see like some of, some of today's proggy bands, like, uh, 
you know, for instance, Adam and I just, just went and saw porcupine tree, um, you know, th this past weekend. And it's like, even some of the other bands that, that do these epic songs and get proggy there, there's a different kind of patience that I think feel like people had back in this era that, uh, yeah. and stuff just unfolds. Really cool. Yeah. Like yeah. the Floyd stuff just unfolds. You have to just kind of get on the trip with it. And porcupine tree used to be like that more. I think when they started out, they were a lot more Floydian, but, uh, yeah, they've covered a lot of yeah. ground too over, over the years. Yes. They were fantastic live. Yeah. Um, definitely inspired the three guys uh, did they have uh some of the solo guys from from uh i've forgotten his name <laughs> steven's uh solo band like who else was in the band because it was richard barbary keyboard and keyboards richard barbary gavin harrison on drums he had a couple new guys on bass and guitar and he introduced them and their names are escaping me right now they were really great yeah. though like they did their he made yeah, a point yeah. of saying there are a couple americans joining the crew right <laughs> oh, really? infiltrating yeah bass yeah the guitarist and the bass player oh really yeah he had a lot of europeans in the last few albums with really spectacular soloists well guthrie govin we saw kenny right oh. with steven yeah that's amazing <laughs> amazing yeah i mean everything steven wilson does is great and porcupine tree i'm a huge fan yeah do a show about them actually yeah. i think at some point i mean you know that shows you you know band like floyd right that's why they're they're legendary it's like it's hard to it's hard to hear somebody right like say porcupine tree who's not like brand new they've been around for quite a while but but right you see hear a band like that and you know they were influenced by pink floyd right oh, like yeah. the, so many so many bands that came after them that were influenced by what they were doing yeah I think going getting into Floyd is like a rite of passage for certain uh boys and girls, but you know, people who become come up through music and you know, kind of grow up through music with Floyd's, I think kind of well. I'm wondering how how's the experience of hearing an album like this through earbuds when you're looking at your phone and you know it's, it's not background noise, yeah. Yeah, can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. So the vinyl was essential for me to have, like you know, there's people that reviewed the cd and uh but you know i had to have the vinyl but it was i felt like it was really a treat to be able to a b those albums in the room where it was cut um but it was, it, like i said it was kind of shocking but there were these great moments too but it's just it's it's really different and also have you tried the, uh listening to the five one surround mixes no i haven't heard any of those <laughs> i'm super interested in that but my I, five one's not set up right now i used to have it but uh i know the uh something i read I, and i just heard that they did a momentary lapse of reason remix with which, new drums um, which bernie cut that too yeah and it's they did a. I read something about that that album came out before animals because gilmore had control over that album and there wasn't the bickering going on so they had they were able to take care of this one get it out first but it's been remixed and apparently they were saying that they felt not as confident uh you know having lost roger that they put a lot of layering and they put all these sound effects and stuff on and the and they were complaining gilmore was complaining about the 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 keyboard sounded dated and things so that he said they did remove some of these layers. They were said they were just a little bit insecure. Um, so I'd love to hear what that sounds like. I'd be interested to hear that too. Yeah. yeah. Never one of my favorite albums. There's some stuff in there I do like. 
Yeah, I saw that tour also in oh, 87. Nice. nice. So, but then you get into the whole thing of like, why, why are you rebaking the cake? Right. Because you know, there's been <laughs> bands that have exactly. that remade albums, like Suicidal Tendencies re-recorded their f- entire first album, what, like 20 years after the fact? And they said it, recording quality was a good thing. Enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it usually, to me, like it... it it takes something away. It often loses right. something. Yeah. Spark. So they might yeah. have gotten their pristine recording, but it's still not, it, it can't have that same vitality. And also another really good example of this was uh, Sweet uh, Give Us a Wink. Do you know that album? I'm familiar with no. it. Sweet, you know the you band, know, but not Blitz Folks on the Run. <laughs> you know, the, the band, The uh, Sweet, you know, Lily Willie, all those hit yeah. songs. I know the band, yeah, but not British, not British glam band. They were really hard rocking. Well, their, their album "Give Us a Wink" it doesn't have any really <laughs> big hits, but they recorded, re-recorded that entire album. Wow! And it sounded so flat; it was really disappointing. And then I think the drummer died shortly thereafter. Like, why didn't you just make a whole new record? It's like the last that was thing, really huh? disappointing. So this is to get into yeah. this thing is like, why are you redoing things? trying to repaint the Mona Lisa or something it's kind of yeah exactly and you know it's a you know it's one of those artist things right because obviously artists always have something in their head that they're shooting for when they're creating something it's sometimes they don't always hit exactly that mark they were originally going for but it has this impact and imprint on everybody else that loves it and so you're like going and changing it up on all of your fans and of course the <laughs> musician who wrote it his experience is completely the opposite of the people that are hearing the music there can never be unity there right it's yeah. two sides of a coin yeah so and then people that listen to music they think you know they know the artist and they might totally misinterpret what was meant or intended you know well, i know i've think- done that yeah it- it made me yeah. think of a King Crimson album from those early 2000s called The Construction of Light and the drummer, Pat Messalotto. Oh, I like it a lot too. I have a soft spot for it because I first saw them on that tour. Really good one, yeah. I bought it when it came out, but they re-recorded the electronic drums on that because Pat oh. played an electric kit and they went back and recorded acoustic drums apparently on that. I have not yet, I've yet to hear it. Oh, really? And then they yeah. reissued it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Just in the last few years. So yeah. kind of, you know. Once again, it's one of those things like, oh, am I going to like it better? Is it going to totally change the character? Is it, you know? Huh. Yeah. So people do it. Um, yeah. Not to touch on Ozzy Osbourne either, just passing. But here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't even need to go there. But but yeah, that's. No, what about Ozzy? What did Ozzy do? Yeah, wait. He well, Sharon something? Osbourne had him, you know, that they wouldn't pay. They wouldn't pay uh, the bass player who wrote the lyrics. He he was uh, Bob Daisley. Of, yeah, Bob Daisley exactly. To... And Lee Kerslake, they're uh, the original members of the band. It was originally was the Blizzard of Oz was called the band, and apparently Sharon got tired of them asking for the royalties they were due, so she just had those their parts re-recorded by Mike Borden and. Uh, uh, bass player from Metallica. Now I forgot his name. Not Cliff. Is it Cliff? No. Wait, no. Trujillo. Robert Trujillo. Yeah, Robert oh. Trujillo. Exactly. 
So wow. those, you know, so if you buy those CDs or albums now, you're not going to hear Lee <laughs> Curse Lake. And I Bob. mean, you know, I, I think I've I've heard something about that recently because uh, yeah, I was I was, you know, off getting off on a little tangent. There is a uh, Randy Rhodes documentary that was recently released on, uh, I think it was on Amazon Prime or something. Uh, just, oh, I've seen just, it. It's just good. came yeah. out, and uh, so I, I watched that recently and. Uh, I'd seen a couple of things, right, and and read a few things with that coming out, and I mean, yeah, it's kind of a shame. I mean, Bob Daisley had a big hand in that first uh, Blizzard of Oz album coming out, and I mean, considering how much money Sharon and Ozzy have made to get to get fickle yeah. about paying a couple of musicians that helped launch the career, and, and you know, yeah, I don't understand seems, the seems petty. but uh, I know that Lee Kerslake. Uh, did finally get his gold record on his deathbed. I think they brought it to him. Because he, uh, I don't know if he was never given one or some story. I don't know all the details, but it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy train. Business has so many tales, sorted tales. What else did you hear? A being the different uh, pressings. Anything else that stood out to you? I'm trying to think. How did sheep sound different? Different that's the one i listened to the least because uh, i was going through other areas and i just didn't have all the time in the world right um and then i realized coming into this i'm like oh i should have listened to sheep more so i, I probably shouldn't even say anything because I, I don't have any me specific memories of that one how does sheep sound the new one um well i mean it's you can hear clarity Everything. in the bass you, you hear there's clarity there it was I think there's still some of that, you know, the drums are loud. They're about, I have to go back and, and revisit. But I noticed it on really the big distinctions are on that Pigs on the Wing part one, and then the, the bass and drums on dogs and, and pigs. Pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Heavier, like louder. Um, I'm definitely yeah, there were the, the meters were just, bouncing <laughs> on some of those like if, when you listen to the original album it might be hitting zero or might you know it might be a half a db over zero here and there and then overall on i think on dogs it overall sounded a couple db quieter but then the drum roll would come in and it would be it would just jump out and you know those meters were very active when on, on the low end which it doesn't hurt really to be above zero on that low end. It's the high frequencies that can be harsh when you're when you're going above zero. But yeah, this is still it's the classic album. You're hearing it in a different way, and I, I appreciate hearing it this way. But I I became quite shocked by some of these things that I discovered. So I I want to just keep investigating and searching. Maybe maybe Guthrie will have something to say about it. I don't know if he does interviews. So this was uh, mixed by Guthrie and mastered by Bernie. It was mixed by James Guthrie, and then the credits for mastering are James Guthrie, Joel Plant, and Bernie Grundman. I see that on Discogs. Yeah, no so, stereo um, mix. That's the first time I've ever seen three mastering engineers on one thing. But I, I, part of that might be that you know Bernie cut the album, so that's part of what mastering is. He didn't put any EQ on it. As I looked at his notes. So there might have been maybe between Joel Plant and, and Guthrie, they might have 
done some EQing and some final mastering before sending files to Bernie. So they're probably, if it says there's three guys, there's three guys, you know, but. It says lacquer cut by Bernie Grunman. Yes. So. Yeah. And I, I uh, actually noticed on the uh, lead out groove, there's a little symbol like Bernie will put his initials BG on the lead out groove of everything he cuts. But I noticed on, on this 2018 remix, there's a little symbol. It's like an ohm symbol or, or something that, that Bernie would have had to put that on there. I'm like, where did I see that? And I look on the console and there's a little post-it note and it says James Guthrie. And it has this little symbol that Bernie must have talked to him on the phone. And, and Guthrie would have wanted him to put that on. So Bernie, would <laughs> he scribed this little symbol. That sometimes people like uh, when I worked with Brian Gardner, he was an engineer with Bernie Grumman for for ever. He's retired now mostly, but he had he would draw this really elaborate flower on the inner uh, leadout grooves of records. Like I have my original uh, Blizzard of Oz album, and and he he liked that album, so he he drew like this really elaborate little flower, and there's not a lot of room to work with in there. So if people look at that, people that they're into vinyl, they look for things like that. How does that get copied from record to record? Like something that's like the run out groove info like that, like what you're talking. How does that well, get? The lacquer gets turned into, a, you know, eventually becomes the stamper and anything that was on there will, will be on the record. Our, our lacquer turns into a record through a long right. process. You're not going through and like writing each one, like, oh, let me, let me yeah. put the symbol in there. <laughs> Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I really want to hear this new one. Um, I thought Bellman might have been involved. Nope. It was the same. Hmm. No, Chris Bellman doesn't do any of the Pink Floyd stuff. Bernie's done all of it. Like he's reissued everything that's ever been, as far as I know, officially issued by Floyd, even compilations like the collection of dance songs and things like that. The Bernie has redone everything. It's all been, and it's under the the watchful eyes and ears of, of James Guthrie. And he, he's had to redo, Bernie's had to, he's done perfect cuts and then something might happen at the plant or you'll get the test pressing and there'll just be a little bit of noise or something and, and James Guthrie will have Bernie redo it. I've been hearing so much Pink Floyd coming out of the studio the last few years. It's pretty Great. awesome. Is yeah. uh, Guthrie like affiliated with the band? Is he like... Hired by the band, obviously, or well, in the I, camp. The first time I saw his name was on the wall, and and uh, he's must have just been involved with them ever since then. So he's got a whole. Uh, he's in their corner yeah. for sure. Yeah, he's he's like their point man. It says he served as their producer and engineer for the band since 1978. So oh, wow. continuity. You know, yeah. and it's funny too. Yeah that we we keep talking about James Guthrie James Guthrie what about the guys in the band how did this they they like it apparently you know and they argued about it and who know i mean this is i just there's got to be more to this story yeah i'm seeing notes like, why would online that says happy? that Roger that Roger Waters was the one who pushed for the the 2018 remix yeah and maybe he's the one that wanted the bass so ungodly loud too. <laughs> well, because <laughs> it does step it's like on you've been, guitar. been hiding my bass for forty years, you know. Crank it up. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's oh boy. I mean, you know, who knows, right? Knowing yeah. knowing him, right? Maybe um, maybe with the political climate that we're in right now, and 
kind of the vibe of where this album was coming from. Maybe that was bringing it to the forefront of his mind where he That's, wanted to remix yeah. it, put it back out. This is a pretty heady political climate at the time as well. Um, from what little I've read, I wasn't there then at all. But like in 77, England, there was a lot of austerity. and you know, Oh, sure. Yeah. So. And the reference to Hey You White House is not the White House in Washington, D.C. It's Mary White House, who was like the the our own or their own uh, sort of Tipper Gore before Ooh. there was the PMRC. And you know, she was into wanting to censor music and blaming behaviors on music or kind of censor the um, arts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so exactly. He got, she got called out, you know, by Roger and, and <laughs> yes, also Margaret Thatcher too. Yes. And she, she thinks I forgot more later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Final cut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just a, such a vibrant time for the band. And uh, uh, you mentioned the immersion stuff. I don't know if they're ever going to do that. Like they did with Dark Side and Wish You Were Here. I, I believe they are having one come out. I think they've got one on the in the works. So we'll maybe get some official soundboards from this tour, which there's not much out there that's official. There's plenty of bootleg stuff. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'd love to hear more of this live. This yeah. when they took it out live, this album. Well, there are some demos that I was listening to online too, and it sounded like the same guitar, same drums. And, and bits of keys, but like Roger's vocal and bass lines were totally different. Like he hadn't yet developed to the level where it finally was really happening. So there's some some uh, demos out there for animals that you can hear. Uh, yeah. uh, some stuff that I've been seeing online of uh, that, like the actual tour that they did for after they released this album, which. Uh, Amazingly, considering the the type of album it was, that it was, it went to like number two on the UK charts and and hit number three in the US, which is like just mind blowing. Yeah. Like it speaks what, how big what, they what, were. Yeah. What, you, yeah, what gets to the top five these days? Um, Certainly not kind of, that kind of music. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a, a difficult tour for them. I think like stuff that I'm saying, you know, it was a it was a difficult time. They they were so hugely successful and playing to like bigger, bigger venues and the madness of being on tour, I think was really wearing on everybody where it was a, a well, I, again, I, it wasn't everybody necessarily. Cause I was just listening to something on YouTube today. Uh, Gilmore said he was pretty happy with everything. Uh, it was Roger that was really sensitive to the, disconnect kind of I mean, like he said there was chain link fence between them and the crowds when they played in montreal and and uh it, he found it very troubling yeah you know, i mean i've seen no like some uh, notes rowdy. about that, that that was where the inspiration for the wall it came was from stuff on this tour where roger wanted felt like building a wall between himself yeah. and the audience he's pink Yes, is this where he spit on the fan too during this tour? Did you guys hear that story? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely kind of inspired. It was a meaner kind of uh, experience, I think, that you know led to the next. Yeah, they said that people weren't really listening. It was just a rowdy and coming for the beer and beer yeah. drinkers and hellraisers. Yeah, it's a rock concert, but yeah, it's a... yeah. But that was the first tour that they did exclusively in stadiums. Yeah. So that was where he just reached this point where they, they found themselves so separated from the, from the 
the fans too big right like yeah it's crazy it's interesting and now uh, that's just what it is yeah if yeah. you're at that level but uh it's really interesting i'm i think i do want to pick up this reissue if you think you i just i just yeah, bought did. it off of amazon oh did you not to not to uh you not know to promote be, them but yeah hopefully they won't sue me for mentioning their name <laughs> on our podcast but uh yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about it anyways, but just the conversation put put me over the edge. So I'm like, I'm gonna grab it. So I actually just ordered it. She says it'll be here on Wednesday. All yes. right. Well, I, I look forward to uh, probably hearing your copy, Kenny. First, you can check it out with mine. Scott, you're welcome to come by sometime and check out the 2016 how it stacks no, up. Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, and <laughs> also you're welcome to come to the studio. Maybe we can a b that one. I would Dude, love it. That yeah, we yeah. come in some night cute. when it's not busy. And oh, I'll just add one other thing, <laughs> which uh, since you're all buying this album, my first purchase, I, I played side two first because it was my lunch break and I didn't have time for everything. So I just played side two first. And uh, as it's fading out, Pigs on the Wing part two and watching for Pigs on the Wing and you hear the guitar yeah. strum as it's fading out, there's a big pop. What? And the fade out of the song. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, that can't be like, how did that get past? How did they get past James Guthrie? Yeah. And and I'm yeah. like, I hope not everyone. This Amoeba had like dozens of copies of this thing. I'm like, I got to change this back in and get another one. And I was like, are they yeah. all going to be like this? I can't believe because Guthrie really is a stickler. So anyway, I'll have to listen moved, for that point. But <laughs> I got another copy and it wasn't on that one. So oh, good. Oh, okay. Been a granule <laughs> of something in there that who knows what happened, but thank God. But hopefully, you won't have a problem either. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, my copy was cut in the Netherlands at uh, Record Industries. So I've heard that there's some other issues, some other pressings that were done elsewhere. So check All your. Right. I'll have to see what. Yeah. I'll have to see which one I get. The Netherlands is the one you probably yeah. want. That's, you know, mm. that's a little bit of the fun of uh, buying vinyl, right? You, you you have to kind of hope for the best, right? Because it's, it's it's not a, a perfect shoot. medium. Yeah. I've had pretty good fortune, but it does happen every once in a while where you get a bad pressing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Animals 2018 remaster remix. I guess it's a total remix, right, Scott? Yes. Uh, it's out now. Very fascinating conversation. I can't wait to hear this. Um, Scott Stratton, thanks for coming on. Thank you. We'll revisit these. I hope to, yeah. I'll have to give you some more more detailed opinions after I get my my copy and spin it a couple times. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. (laughs) Great album. Thank you very much, you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Oh, and uh, last show when I said... You're welcome to come on anytime. That wasn't just like talking. You're welcome anytime on this show. Just thank so you know. very much. Yeah, yeah, I could uh, just chime in on something that I'm not an expert on. Maybe that would be fantastic. Sit in yeah. on whatever. Let me know what you have coming up. I'd like. I'm not that. an expert on anything. Yeah. So yeah, yeah but everyone right. has an opinion. That's the <laughs> yeah. nice thing. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Sometimes it's good to have a reaction yeah, we, from somebody who we like. Isn't too we like opinions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, thank you very much. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone.